Howdy town civilians and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, escapingthecave.com. No Twitter. Fuck Twitter. No Facebook page. I'm your friendly and congenial host, Todd. Hello. How are you? Yet another episode. Two in two days. I've done that a few times the last couple of weeks. This is going to be the continuation and the completion of the politics dump from yesterday. I said at the end of the last episode that I had decided uh, to bust this one up into two. I got a little concerned about uh, length on the other one, and I wanted this one to sort of stand alone, stand apart by itself. But that's not going to be good enough today, as things have changed. When I recorded this about 24 hours ago, the first one, Elizabeth Warren's still in the race. She's no longer in the race. I'll get to that here in a couple of minutes. This is going to be episode number 69. The date on this one, March 6th of uh, 2020. As always, I'm trying to remember to remind you at the beginning of each episode, make sure your uh, subscriptions are set to Escaping the Cave, not Christopher Media, as we move forward. Thank you very much for that. And if you like the podcast, if you enjoy it, if you're getting something out of it, if it's making you think, I don't care if you agree with everything. If you agree with everything I say, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you're not thinking for yourself either. <laughs> I promise. I don't want everybody to agree with everything I say. I'm not trying to turn myself into you know, an all-knowing demagogue myself. But if it makes you think, if it gets you going, makes you consider some things, if you know of some people who might like it, share it with them. Give them the gift of Toddzilla this St. Patrick's Day season. I am a little Irish. I'm Irish, I'm French, Scottish, a lot of English. So I do have a little Irish in me. Give the podcast so your friends can get a little Irish in them. <laughs> I'm loopy today. Apologies. All right, let's get going on this. As I said, the uh, second part of this podcast was recorded yesterday. I don't think I had any uh, mentions of Elizabeth Warren in that section, but she has since uh, dropped out. In case I'm misremembering or have forgotten, and I mentioned Elizabeth Warren in the next section here, she has dropped out. She got out today, uh, yesterday, I guess I should say. Today is Friday. She gave a little press conference, I guess, out in front of her house. She did not endorse Bernie Sanders. In fact, she made some comments, I think, on Rachel Maddow. I did not see the show. I don't watch Rachel Maddow anymore. I probably I probably should have last night. Had I known she was on, I may have. But apparently she <laughs> lobbed some pretty heavy criticisms at the Bernie bros and how abusive they are. I don't know about all that. Well, yeah, I do know all about, about all that, but I don't know. I've seen a lot of her supporters that have been pretty uh, vitriolic on the social media as well. Uh, but she hasn't supported him. And this I find this really interesting because Elizabeth Warren is a Democrat. She's a far-left Democrat, but she's not a Democratic Socialist. She's a capitalist. right? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure that she's going to endorse him. She probably will, based on her politics and her following and all that. But I don't know that the, the Democratic establishment, the party people, may get to her and say, hey, you know what? We want Bernie to go be a social Democrat. We want him to go join the Democratic Socialists of America, build a party, and take the radicals with him. If you endorse him, you are endorsing that taking over this party. We would prefer, Elizabeth, that you don't do that. Or if you do do that, go be a democratic socialist yourself. She has a bit of a quandary here because she is a capitalist. She was a Republican once upon a time, wasn't she? 
I'm not 100% sure she's going to endorse him. I mean, the common wisdom is that she will. A lot of people on the Twitter are saying like, oh, come on, we need a Bernie Elizabeth Warren tick. Oh, God, no. <sighs> Honestly, I have no idea how that's going to go. But uh, all the rage yesterday and last night, I saw no fewer than six articles that were attributing her demise in the electoral process to sexism. Of course it's about sexism. On the far left, everything, everything is about racism or sexism. We know that by now. We've all figured that out. Well, I, I seriously, I literally counted about six articles that put it squarely on. These are Democratic voters. These are Democrats aren't supposed to be sexist. I would understand maybe a little bit of that argument if this was a general election, but this is within the Democratic Party. How is it you're placing this on the lap of sexism here? Especially four years after Hillary Clinton got your nomination. So Hillary Clinton succeeded in getting the nomination four years ago. But this year, Elizabeth Warren failed because of sexism. <laughs> and one thing I never saw was anyone saying that Amy Klobuchar didn't win because of sexism. Why is it it's always the lefties, the lefties, the far lefties that attribute this shit uh, to sexism. I guess Hillary Clinton tried to pull that too, didn't she? She tried to play the sexist card. They never, not one person in these articles mentioned the fact that Elizabeth came out and played the sexism card, the woke sexism card on Bernie last fall. Nor did they mention that she presumed to say she was going to take a high school transgendered person and give them veto power. A high school student who happens to be transgendered, does this give them, a, does this give them some sort of divine wisdom? That they know better than Elizabeth Warren, who's been in politics for decades, a 70-year-old seasoned politician who understands things, understands how politics and the institutions work. Does being a transgendered high school student somehow give you some divine wisdom from on high that qualifies you to veto the Secretary of Education appointment? Nobody mentioned that. It was all sexism. It's got to be sex. Of course, it's got to be sexism. Anyway, I didn't see the Meadow interview last night. And from what I gathered, she sounded like Elizabeth Warren again. <laughs> There's this old song by Slade that kept running through my head last night. See, chameleon lying there in the sun. All thanks to everyone. Run, run away. That's her problem. She tried to appeal to everyone. There's this old saying that says, when you try to appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. Be who you are. She couldn't do that. She had to try to pander to the woke crowd. And nobody who has pandered to the woke crowd has succeeded. I talked about this in the last episode. They all fell flat on their face, starting with Kirsten Gillibrand, the walking, talking vagina. And Booker and Harris, as a person of color, shut up. You're running to be president of the entire country. I got so sick and tired of hearing Kamala Harris talk about as a woman of color. How does that relate to me? You're running to be president of the country in which I live as well. And Cory Booker, the person of color, oh my God, all of these woke people, they came out of the out of the starting gate, raring to go. They had their woke bona fides or their woke bona fides, say it how you want, ready. They had their placards in the air, I am woke, and they tripped over their own goddamn feet, 10 feet from the starting line. 
And yeah, nobody, nobody decided to try to, you know, tie the timeline into her plummet from the, the primary heights last fall to her pivoting a little bit harder toward the woke flakes to try to get an edge while thereby turning off the rest of the damn electorate. Bernie Sanders doesn't play this game. He has surrogates who play this game and play it like crazy. He lets uh, Omar and uh, AOC play it for him and the people that surround him. He doesn't do that. Therefore, he hasn't stumbled in this fashion. And Joe Biden? <laughs> I don't know if he can play that game very well. That's his appeal. That's Bernie's part of Bernie's appeal. Part of the reason, at least, that he doesn't turn more people off than he does. That, I think, is why, since they occupied such so much of the same lane in this primary process that he did better than she did, she's eminently, I think, eminently more qualified to be president than Bernie Sanders. I couldn't stand her. I could not stand hearing about all of this wokeness. It has nothing to do with her vagina. Nothing at all. I would have voted for her in 2016 before she got all woke. Before she decided to take the DNA test. And all this other shit. When she's talking, when she's a policy wank. She appeals greatly to me. And she starts delving into this, this cultural, social, totalitarian bullshit. I don't want to hear it. I do not care about that. In fact, <laughs> I'll get to this later. It's a little bit more than I don't care about this stuff. Anyway, she's gone. Uh, no endorsement as of yet. Like I said, the uh, conventional wisdom is that she's going to uh, endorse uh, Bernie Sanders. I don't, I'm not 100% sure about that, but we'll see. I think, uh, Like I said, I think the party people are going <laughs> to say, hey, we prefer you didn't. And if you do, maybe go join him in the DSA. All right, I'm going to transition to the main part of this podcast. It's about Joe Biden and uh, what happened this week and why there's really no choice to be made here as far as I'm concerned. I have not felt a even a sliver of what I call sausage party hope in a long time. I pretty much have determined and decided that this extremist, this bilateral radicalization is going to continue. And that we have one last chance to get a grip on it. And once Biden started falling off the face of the earth, I didn't see Pete Buttigieg getting the nomination. I didn't see Amy Klobuchar would have voted for either one of those two, but I didn't see that coming. I kind of assumed with the rest of the damn country up until this week that Bernie Sanders was going to run away with the nomination. He was going to get such a lead that they could not stop him come convention time. That is no longer the case. Joe Biden has the momentum. There is legitimate hope, at least right now on March 6th of 2020, full eight months before the election, that he could get the nomination. In fact, he has so much momentum, California, Texas, all out of the way, that he could feasibly could kind of run away with this. Could. And not likely. But it's possible, I suppose. I saw somewhere that the odds of a brokered convention are pretty high, at least right now. If it is brokered, you can't sit there and convince me that that convention is going to nominate Bernie Sanders. So there's a, a legitimate good chance that he's going to be the nominee. 
He's not a perfect candidate. I'll start off talking about that here in a couple of minutes. And this might not work. Again, there is hope that he could be nominated and it still might fail. Biden is not a sure thing come this fall. He may still lose to Trump, especially after a summer filled with Hunter and Burisma. What I'm saying is, when I talk about this, in the end, what I'm saying is that a house divided doesn't stand. If you haven't given up, if you don't despise your own country, if you at least have some affection for what this country stands for, at least on paper, I know, and unless you have dreams about the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys and Antifa brawling in your front yard, nominating Joe Biden is the only thing that can work. That's what I'm saying. It's the only possible path forward to sanity. It's not a sure thing. He's not a perfect candidate. I understand that. I'm not being unreasonable in my head about that. Believe me, I promise. I'm encouraging you to think about this because it's the only thing in my head, the only possible path. It has rocks and logs you know, blocking it up the road. But it's the only possible path we can take to get to sanity. It's the only thing that can work. That is what I'm saying. And again, it might not. It's the only thing providing even a sliver of sausage party hope for some degree of sanity that doesn't involve this country ripping itself in two. Now, for the rest of you, those getting hard-ons for the fight, I know there are a lot of you on both sides. Once the Rubicon is crossed and the real war for the soul of this country begins, this isn't going to be fought and won on your Twitter account, MSNBC, Fox News, nor is it going to be waged via Brooke Baldwin's editorializing inflections and facial expressions. It won't be fought and won on your Facebook account either. The other side, and I'm talking about either side, once you win, they're not just going to surrender and convert on the glorious day of your righteous victory. You better keep that in mind. History doesn't stop with this election, nor will the radicalization if this fever is not broken. The other side's going to counterattack with more of their own brand of batshit extremism. What I'm saying is the ball right now, during this primary season, what's coming out of the Republican Party in the fall is a known quantity. It's Donald Trump. We know that. The ball right now, the only variable, the X in this equation, are the Democrats. The primary voters will decide whether our electoral Caesar crosses the Rubicon. How you choose to proceed will write how posterity writes our history. In 50, 100 years, they're going to ask, hey, did someone at least try to counter Donald Trump's assault with tempered sense? With any semblance of compromise? conciliation, trying to put the country back together again? Or did they just use and exploit his example to radicalize and kind, hijack and manipulate the institutions themselves in an effort to impose their competing totalitarianism as a strong-armed alternative to his authoritarianism? That's what Bernie Sanders is. The choice is yours. And Michigan's going to play a huge role in this. A huge role in determining momentum going forward this spring. That primary is coming up in just a few days on Tuesday. Those preferring to at least give moderation a fighting chance seized momentum this week. And personally, I hope that next week we keep it. 
You know, Joe Biden, he's not exactly the Teflon candidate. (laughs) Nothing is said and done either. It might be too late for anything. But uh, personally, this is just me. I, for one, am thrilled to see the Democrats finally uh, uniting to at least try to repel the Democratic Socialist insurgency that's hijacking their damn party. The Republicans failed to do this uh, 10 years ago with their own invasive species. And at least to a large degree, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that's precisely why we have this incoherent orange goblin infesting our government. And I'm even more thrilled, though I cannot say I'm completely surprised, because, yeah, as I mentioned before, the moderates had consistently outvoted utopians throughout this primary process. But I am even more thrilled to see the anti-Trump electorate come out, get out, except for the young ones, except for the kids who never show up and, and won't. I'm really happy to see them out backing him up this week. We are finally seeing what happens when sober moderates are not splitting their votes four ways. <laughs> the moderate majority was heard this week. And looking at the totals, yesterday's statement could have been even more resounding without Tyrion Bloomberg's billion-dollar cock blocking. To be fair, he spent a lot of money. That was his first showing. <laughs> he was, we went one round and got the hell out. Good for him. <laughs> I guess a little bit. I look at it this way. The actual Democrats, the real Democrats, the best line of the bill, at least I'm a Democrat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> at least you are, Joe, a real Democrat. Bernie Sanders has never been a Democrat except at election time. And the actual Democrats starting to steal a line from natural-born killers. See Indian, where Mickey and Mallory show up and are like hanging out in the, out in the middle of the desert with the Indian they eventually kill or Mickey kills. Just before he gets shot, he's got this snake. A rattlesnake, it's his pet. And he knows something's going to happen. He takes the snake. He's like, get out of here, snake. Old man, go be a snake. That's exactly what the Democrats are saying to Bernie. And if I were to talk to him and say, you know what, Bernie, you are free to take off the constricting Democratic drag costume anytime. You can go open your own joint where you can praise Castro's social miracles all you want. I would say to Bernie, go, run free. In fact, Bernie, you already have a storefront and a finger-clapping, comradely customer base ready and waiting for you. Go be a snake, old man. And please, for the love of Christ, take AOC, Omar, and that batshit New Age twat, Marianne Williamson, with you. Now, me specifically, I am in Michigan. Proud Michigander. Born and bred here. Took off for about 14 years. Now I'm back. This is my home state. And as you can imagine, I have a lot of listeners right here in Michigan. I'm not voting in the primary next week. I've decided not to because in my mind, it's not between Biden and Sanders as much as it's about you silly bastards, the electorate. I want to see what you're going to do. Are you going to repudiate extremism or are you going to follow Moonbeam off the gender-neutral cliff? We'll know in a week's time, but I would implore you, if you're still on the fence trying to figure out which direction to go, think about what I'm saying here. Newton's third law of extremism. And what's going to happen to the opposition, what's going to happen to the other half of the country 
when you nominate a socialist for president. Think about the kind of country you want to live in. Think about how you want this country to look in 10 years. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? What kind of country do you want them living in? One that's completely torn down the middle at each other's throats? 1936 Germany, where you've got street fights between the communists and the fascists? How do you want this country to look in 10 years? The only path forward, in my opinion, and I implore you, I can't tell you what to do. I wouldn't presume to tell you what to do. But decide whether or not you believe in the religion or your country first. It was a bustling marketplace of ideas. Point of privilege. Quick point um, of personal privilege. Yes. Um, guys, uh, first of all, James Jackson, Sacramento, he, him. I just want to say, can we please keep the chatter to a minimum? I'm one of the people who's very, very prone to sensory overload. <laughs> There's a lot of whispering and chatter going on. It's making it very difficult for me to focus. Ow! It's affecting my ability to focus. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Okay, is there a speaker against name, point chapter, pronoun? Privilege. Point of personal privilege. Yes. Please do not use gendered language to, to address everyone. Why do people run okay. from me? Quick point of privilege once again. Hi, James Jackson, Sacramento DSA, he, him. You have made me very angry. I have already asked people to be mindful of the chatter of their comrades who are sensitive to sensory overload, and that goes double for the heckling and the hissing. It is also triggering to my anxiety. Very angry like, indeed. He comradely doesn't ju isn't just for like, you know, let's keep things civil or whatever. It's so that people aren't gonna get triggered and so that it doesn't affect their performance as a delegate, okay? Your need to express yourself is important, but your need to express yourself should not trump or... What the hell is supposed to do, you moron? I just wanted to belong. For once, I felt I was with intellectual equals. Go! We have a lot of disabled comrades. <laughs> we have a lot of disabled comrades. <laughs> Questions are decadent. <laughs> Come on, squeal. Squeal. We have quiet rooms that are available. There's a range of options of these, right? Please don't go in that space with anything that's like an aggressive scent, for instance, right? Because we don't want to put people in stressful situations that they don't consent to, right? Yes! Yes! Little pigs. Little pigs. Let me come in. There are um, right-wing infiltrators who are trying to get in here. Here's Johnny! But it's going to be really traumatic for people if we're not making an affirmative effort to de-escalate each other and de-escalate ourselves, right? Take a deep breath. You are so brilliant. Don't feel better? Please do not talk to anybody who identifies themselves as a member of the press. Don't talk to cops. Don't talk to MAGA assholes. Oh, we're almost there. Just, we are going to be visited tomorrow um, by some MAGA protesters. Um, is there anybody here who's done abortion clinic escort work? By all means, don't talk to cops if there are cops there for any reason at all, right? Um, and if you do see someone talking to cops, uh, let the marshals know. Um, we, are, we are safe and we are strong because there's power in collective, uh, in collective work. Thank you, comrade. You know, I sort of backed off the uh, invasive species agitation and insurgency stuff that I was talking about a lot uh, last summer. Now, I was talking about the national myth. I was talking about the language of revolution, how agitation propaganda is the language of revolution. It's designed to destabilize a population, weaken from within kind of thing. 
I'm not saying that Bernie Sanders and the Democratic Socialists should be taken out of the political process, but I think they should be taken out of the Democratic Party because that is a takeover. They're using Donald Trump and the situation of the White House, the situation of the Republican Party to say, hey, you know, we got a bunch of supporters. You're going to do what we say because you know what? You pretty much have to because look at you want Trump. That's how they're hijacking this party. They're using a lot of the implicit scare tactics that the Tea Party used against the Republicans 10 years ago. You better do what we say. You better let us in. You better move our way because if you don't, we're going to take this huge base of support. We're going to go away. We'll start our own party, said Sarah Palin one day. And when she said that, when she let that dribble out of her stupid mouth, I was like, yes, please let her do that. Let them do it, please, for the love of God. Keep sanity. Keep at least a tethering, a little thread of sanity within the Republican Party. They didn't do it. They didn't let her do it. The Democrats need to do that with Bernie Sanders, and they need to do it now. Let him go. Take accountability and build his own party. Let AOC go build that party elsewhere without having to hijack and kidnap. Kidnap the moderates. Force and strong-arm them into some socialist agenda because Trump. There's a group of Democratic socialists right over there, Bernie. Go be a snake, old man. Go be a Democratic socialist. Get some skin in the game. Build a party. The Democrats, they understand that that could happen. They understand there will be damage to the party. A lot of the far-left people will go over there, but they're willing to do that. A lot of the higher-ups are willing to do that, and they should, because then you can compartmentalize and marginalize the extremists. And a lot of those Democratic socialists will come back because they'll know that at least this can happen. At least we'll be able to accomplish something with these guys while the extremists, the far leftists over there, are trying to build a pseudo-communist state in the United States of America. I was talking about the national myth. That's never going to happen in this country. The national myth is, is individualism. It's the antithesis of collectivism. Calling each other comrade in the United States of America. How stupid, how fucking stupid do you have to be? To release a video to allow cameras into an organization where you're sitting there calling each other comrade, dressing up like Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. How historically ignorant do you have to be where you don't even know what country you're in? You're so drunk on the ideological scripture and the moral certitude and whatever, whatever else that you do not remember which country in which you reside. You do not have any comprehension of the population with which you share the country. They call it a revolution. They do call it a revolution, and that's exactly what it is. Because to take that, to supplant the national myth, to take it and replace it with a collective national myth, it will require a revolution, a real one. And I'm not talking about a rhetorical revolution where you just run on stage, yeah, ready, really, ready. No, it's going to take a real one. Good luck with that. I've been reading a lot of Walter Lippmann lately. I got the public philosophy in the mail, and he's talking about uh, what he calls counter-revolutionary movements. I, these are, I think we would call them revolutionary movements, but he's talking about the limits of dissent. And this is fascinating to me. He says, the counter-revolutionary movements have subjected the liberal democracies to severe stresses and strains. How to ensure their security and survival without abandoning 
their liberties. How do you protect the country without abandoning freedom? How do you, how do you fight off insurgent revolutionary movements without sacrificing liberty? And he says these liberal democracies are faced with popular movements aided and abetted. This is great. Aided and abetted by unfriendly foreign powers and employing the machinery of democratic government to capture it in order to abolish it. When they're working to attain power and before they do attain it, the fascist and communist parties invoke all the guarantees of the Bill of Rights, all the prerogatives of popular parties, of elections, of representation of the assemblies, of tenure in the civil service. But when they attain power, they destroy the liberal democratic institutions on which, as on a broad staircase, they climbed to power. They use the institutions against the liberal democracies. They use the institutions. They take advantage of the institutions to attain power, and then once they're there, they abolish it. This exploitation of free institutions is, it seems to Mr. Lippmann, Compelling proof that these institutions are inseparable from what he calls the public philosophy. If the connection is forgotten, as is so generally the case in the contemporary democracies, free institutions are poorly defended by the liberal democracies. They are the easy prey of their enemies. And this is the key line here. Either the fascists seize power in order to forestall the communists, or the communists seize power to forestall the fascists. That is the track we're on. You can call Donald Trump a fascist all you want. A lot of what I read there you could legitimately apply to him. But to fight a fascist with a communist gets you nowhere. Totalitarians are totalitarians. It doesn't matter. A cancer doesn't know it's a cancer. Fighting extremism with more extremism is not the answer. The end game is the same. Authoritarianism or totalitarianism, it doesn't matter. Are you hearing me? If you have any affection for the national myth, the founding ideals, bullshit or not, if you have any affection for this country, the only, the only path forward is moderation. Because another few steps into the Rubicon, it's going to be too late to turn back. And down that line, I have talked a lot about remaining psychologically detached. Getting the dog, getting the dog out of the fight. At some point, though, it appears that detachment becomes lazy and escapist apathy. Like the one-third who wanted to remain neutral in Germany in the 1940s. I get it, man. But, But being a relatively proud American, and I am, a proud American whose heritage runs back to colonizing Plymouth and Quebec, In the 1600s, I think that the time has come to choose who to, if not support, if not offer support, at least fight against. I like Bernie Sanders. I do. I really do. But here's the problem. Every blood-sucking revolutionary parasite that seems to have attached itself to him and claims to want to remake the entire nation in its own fart-sniffing and self-righteous image stinks like a rotting, infected, and festering pit of totalitarianism cloaked as wokeness who could lead to nothing but degrees of division, and that can only lead to violence. Real violence. You know, to me, there is no choice here. There is no selection to be made. I haven't felt any sliver of even sausage party hope in a long time before the last few days. And it is sausage party hope. I understand that. 
I understand. I, you know, I was talking about how could I be wrong about this? Well, I'm thinking to myself right now, I'm like, self, that's what I call myself, self. I'm saying, self, this is Sausage Party Hope. <laughs> a lot of things could go wrong here. You could nominate Biden. He could go out there and he could have a stroke between now and, I don't know, November. He could have some kind of gaffe. He could literally go on stage at a debate with Trump and shit himself. We don't know. I've been calling him Dementia Joe for a long time. He, he, he's slipping. He's the only thing we got. He is the only thing we got. And he could surprise us. Maybe, you know, the campaign will invigorate him. Maybe he'll be the old Joe Biden here in a couple of months. I don't know. But there is no other alternative now. There isn't. He could beat Trump. There could be enough people who are so sick and tired of the extremism who just want a little ah, peace and quiet, a little normalcy again, that they'll come out and vote for him even if he does shit himself on stage. Just to not have Trump and just to not have to go out there and vote for the pseudo-communist. It certainly appears so. Even after Burisma, even after Hunter, even after everything that happened through the impeachment process, I mean, I thought he took a hit. I did. I thought back in January that, you know, the Hunter Biden and the Burisma story, I thought that pretty much handicapped him, that he didn't have a chance because most people, a lot of people thought he was filthy. Yet still, even with that, he took Texas. He finished relatively close in California. The centrists, the moderates are out drawing and outvoting the radicals. And he's the one they've chosen. And people are rallying around him because they want a sensible, sober option. Something that looks fucking normal. It definitely could happen. So in the short term, the choice to me is clear. There is no choice to be made here. That is the only path forward. That is the only ray of hope. That after November, after that election, and after the inauguration next January, that we can even begin to take this fever down. To start acting like human beings and countrymen again. That is the only chance. If you nominate Bernie Sanders and send him into the general election against Trump, that is not going to happen. I don't care about your utopian fantasies and daydreams, your fantasies and wet dreams. I do not care about them at all. I do not care about your God of external justice and how we have to have a just and it doesn't matter. It's not coming. These are fantasies. They have always been fantasies. You are in the wrong country for this. Take that shit to Peru. They may listen to you there. In this country, that's the language of communism. It goes against the national foundational myth. It goes against fundamental American principles of individualism and independence. Collectivism and enforced justice do not play well here. And you will have a literal war on your hands if you try to impose it in this country. You had better understand that. If that's okay with you, if that's what gets you wet, if that's what gets your dick hard, fine. But you better understand it clearly going in. You better understand it clearly what that means. This isn't going to be like you're not going to fight a revolution sitting on stage yelling at each other or taking to Twitter. Twitter's going to come to your front door. Understand that. You know, I think I'm probably talking to you folks here in Michigan. We're getting ready to go vote here in the primary next Tuesday, another Super Tuesday. 
Think really, really, really hard about this. I agree with a lot of what Bernie Sanders says. You know, I'd love to see universal health care here. I still sit left to center. But I've come to understand what this country is. I've come to understand why people are so opposed to this collective utopian thinking. And I, I got to tell you, I don't disagree with them. And you know what? Not all of that has to do with economics. A lot of this has to do with cultural totalitarianism as well. Watching people get canceled, denounced. Seeing the cultural scapegoats, the cultural lynchings that take place, virtual lynchings that take place. There are a lot of things wrong with that ideology. There are a lot of things wrong with that candidate. But primarily, there are a ton, innumerable things wrong with the people he's surrounding himself with and who is going to be elevated with him. Most likely, Bernie's going to be dead in 10 years. But what comes after him will live on. And to repeat what's going to happen, how the other side is going to invoke Newton's third law of extremism and radicalize in kind, those are the things that scare me. More than Bernie Sanders himself. What that means when we step on the opposite bank of the Rubicon. This is a threat that can be taken care of in the short term. The other one we'll worry about when we know what we're working with later on this year. So, if you're a new listener, <laughs> welcome to Politics Zilla style. I should end this on a more positive note. I was really happy to see what happened this week. I did not see any of this coming. I figured Biden would probably do really well, maybe even win South Carolina, but I didn't see uh, Klobuchar and Buttigieg dropping out of the race, endorsing him. I didn't see him winning Texas. I didn't see him doing that well up in Minnesota. He didn't spend any money up there, and he won it. He won Massachusetts. You think I saw that coming? Hell no. Hell, neither did you. Come on. And you know, it's not just the party establishment. They can, they can endorse anybody they want. All right, they can say, we'd like you to vote for this person. It doesn't matter. There are some days that you don't do what you're programmed to do, right? I mean, do you walk into the booth and say, gosh, this guy that endorsed him says that I should vote for him and therefore I shall vote for him. No, that's one of the most private things we do is when we walk into a voting booth and we can push a button. Nobody's there to watch, at least not in this country. And so many people came out and supported the alternative, supported the sober, sensible candidate, repudiated this bilateral, equal and opposite radicalization. That made me happy. As I said before, I haven't felt any kind of sausage party hope, even sausage party hope, in a long time. I'm like, oh my God, could this happen? Long way to go. He's not a great candidate. He's not. God, he's not. And he better pick somebody, if he gets the nomination, he had better pick somebody that knows what the hell they're doing because <laughs> there I saw somewhere there's a 50-50 chance that he and uh, Bernie Sanders won't survive their first term. And simply because of their age. And with somebody that is uh, threatening enough, somebody that is threatening enough to the Republicans where they don't want to go on some revenge impeachment witch hunt. <laughs> I shouldn't have used that phrase. But... Somebody that is, uh, you know, sort of a deterrent to that. But that's for later on. we got to get there first. 
<sighs> I'm chewing on lemons during this show, by the way. They are freaking good. You ever eat raw lemons? I love them. They're good for your voice, too. Escapingthecave.com, that is my website. Fuck Twitter, no Facebook page. I don't think there will be a Facebook page. I like controlling my ecosystem. By God, make sure those uh, subscription feeds are set to Escaping the Cave, not something else. And please, if you like the podcast, if you think it's informative, insightful, and compelling, if you think I have a sexy voice, hmm, tell your friends, share it, put it out there, help me market this bitch, huh? I don't want to make money. I don't care about making money. I prefer not to make money. It doesn't taint the product. I'd like to have a few more people, but I'd like to have a few more people here. <sighs> Daddy needs a drink. So does the country, huh? Thanks for clicking in. Until next time, so long. <laughs>